Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in relationship, we grow in discipleship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. In this series, we enter a study of the letter to the Hebrews. In this study, we see how Jesus is better. He is the better revelation. He is the better priest. He is the better sacrificed. He is the better king. He brings the better covenant. So we hope that you join us as we grow together and learn more of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Subscribe so that you don't miss a single Lord's Day sermon. So we are picking up where we left off uh, last week. We, we studied, uh, we're just seeing God's revelation, uh, the way He has revealed Himself. Um, and we acknowledge that He reveals Himself through nature, but He's done so in a special way. He's revealed Himself especially in former times and in many ways through the prophets. You could see how many times and many ways that is. My goodness, there are uh, visions and dreams and prophetic words that are given, interpretations of uh, the Scriptures and of the law, the law itself. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son, by His Son, So we're learning about Christ. Christ, that's the message of Hebrews, is that Jesus is better. Jesus is the better revelation. He's the the, the best and most fullest revelation of God. He's the final Word of God, the Word incarnate. And we'll come in time to see Him as the better priest, the better sacrifice, the better king. Uh, All of these things. So this morning, we're just studying still Christ as God's radiant Word. God's radiant Word. So I want to read for us this morning Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. And uh, if you've had a chance to turn there in your copy of God's Word, I welcome you to stand so that we honor God in His Word. Word of the Lord and the letter of Hebrews. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Our most gracious God and Father, we come to You to see You revealed this morning to see You in the face of the Son, 
who lives. Lord, let us behold him this morning in your word and in his full glory. Lord, we pray for ourselves that we would come to know you more perfectly. Lord, that the light of Christ would awaken us from slumber. Lord, that we would become more zealous in service of your kingdom. And Lord, that if there is one who has not beheld you, has not seen you revealed, who does not know you the way that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us by your Son, Lord, that you would work already in their hearts. Give them ears to hear, eyes to see. That they would be resurrected from the spiritual death in which they walk. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This morning, you're going to hear a little bit of overlap. uh, Just to make sure that we're stemming from the the text and what the text has already established for us and then you're going to find that this is going to serve somewhat as a as a part one uh we're, we're not going to be able to make it all the way through uh verse three um you know, i admitted to chad and chris that it's going to be tough to make it through this one it might we could take several weeks if we wanted but i'm going to do my best and we'll just pick up again next week to finish off hopefully the rest of of verse 3, um, but it is jam-packed. This writer is, is certainly set out to exalt Christ. Now, something that we've already seen in the text is that Jesus is sent from the Father. Now, we didn't really word it that way whenever we described the way that God's revealed Himself through the Son, but it's obvious that, that God sent the Son. Jesus is sent from the Father. And so, if you're following the outline in the bulletin, Those are what I'm using, those points, and and I hope to fill them in for you. Jesus is sent from the Father. We've already established that. God is speaking to His people. He's provided this beautiful creation that does proclaim His glory. And in the days of old, He has spoken through the prophets, but now in these last days, God has given us this magnum opus of His creation, this this uh, what has been called a literary masterpiece, if you will, regarding His Word, His most perfect, final, and full revelation of Himself in Jesus Christ. The words of Thomas Watson ring true that is in that brief quote that's given at the bottom of your outline. Whenever we're reading these truths from Scripture, he says, think in every line you read that God is speaking to you. We're talking about revelation. Revelation, the Word of God, and then now the Word incarnate in Jesus Christ that is preserved for us in Scripture. That is what he says. If you read John's Gospel, the Word who was in the beginning, who was with God, and who is God, through whom all things were made, in verse 14, was made flesh. God speaks. And that is Christ. That is Christ. And whenever we 
read from this word, this holy scripture, it is preserving that testimony that's come to us by the prophets through Christ and those who are that foundation that are built upon the cornerstone of Christ himself. Even that word that is given by the Spirit, the word is then not what, but a who. God has sent his Son so that he might reveal himself. We could put it this way, Jesus is both the messenger and the message. I like how one pastor, Kyle Reeder, that I've come across and come to greatly enjoy his preaching, uh, just from down near Land Between the Lakes in Benton, Kentucky, I think is, is what it would be. He put it this way, God revealed Christ so that Christ might reveal God. Jesus is the climactic revelation of God. You were challenged last week to look at how God uses revelation uh, to view all things, whether it be natural or special, and then, and then how does this uh, pertain to Christ? How does God use revelation to make himself known to you? And now we have this most special revelation that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is sent from the Father. To learn about Christ, to study who this is, is to open that letter that God has sent and written to you, to mankind. So when we learn about Christ, it's not vague, it's understanding what God's communicated to us. The only question is, won't you read it? How important do you find it to learn something about Christ? How can you pretend as a Christian to discuss heavenly matters and yet you have not yet considered Christ? We could apply that to any one of our useless debates. And I say that Speaking as if it were apart from Christ. If you want to discuss creation, fine. Have you discussed it in light of Christ? You want to discuss the the end of matters and the coming of of tribulation or something like that or the return, but have you really understood this in light of Christ? Have you really consulted His Word? Or are you basing all this off Hollywood or something else? Consult Christ. That's what we want to do. The Word that was sent from God. Now, The writer of Hebrews has already established this. They've said God has sent His Son. In these last days, God has spoken. We've got this greater revelation. It comes to us in His Son. And now He wants to take a closer look at this Christ by which God speaks to us. If He reveals something of God, then then what's left other than to look long in the face of Christ? We've got to look closer to see what in fact God Reveals We've got to look to Christ to learn something more of our God. Now first, the writer says that he is heir of all things. Jesus is heir of all things. That's the first area that he goes. The Son of God was given to the world 
so that the world might be given to him. Isn't that interesting the way we come across those paradigms? The Son of God was given to us that we might be given to him. Paul says in Romans 11.36, For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things to Him. Be the glory forever. Amen. All of these things, all things, will be given to Him. You know what an heir is. It is the inheritor. It's the receiver of the will, the estate Can we let this sink in a minute? All of the stars of heaven belong to Christ. They're given to Him. The riches of our produce, every blessing that you think you have taken part in, it is given to Christ Jesus. It's Him to whom God says, I give this to you. All of this is an inheritance for the glorious Son of God. Now in Job 38, if you're familiar with the book, uh, Job really has these trials brought upon him. Uh, by Satan, that's explicitly even provoked and permitted by God Himself. And at the end, God engages Job personally. It's an interesting book, especially if you're going through suffering. But in Job 38, God asks a series of questions. And in that chapter, you'll find questions like, Where were you when the morning stars sang together? He asks things like, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Have you entered the storehouses of snow? God asks, what is the way to the place where light is distributed? He asks Job, do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? He says all these as if to say, you don't even know for whom I have prepared these things. All of that belongs to Christ. He is the heir of all of these things. All of this good creation shall be given to my son, God says. He will inherit them all. At his baptism, God says, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. In all of this creation and everything that we want to discuss, there's an interaction that is occurring between the Father and the Son. Now any father knows this. It is with great joy that we take the heritage of our children that God has given us and we say, all that I have, 
I give to you. What father works diligently to leave an inheritance for his children and does not walk him to the boundary? You see, these things, all things, are given to Christ. Christ receives all from the Father so that all things proceed from God. They come through God and they go to God. Before his ascension into heaven, Christ exclaimed, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. All of creation, all of the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, it's Christ's. All things on earth, above the earth, and under the earth are His, and they shall worship Him, is what Philippians 2.10 says. That's pretty much everything. Everything above the earth, the earth, what's above the earth, what's under the earth, that means everything. Christ is heir of all things. Now you might ask, brother, why is this so important? Isn't it enough to, to know that Christ is sent? I mean, we know he's the Messiah. That's kind of the gist of things, right? It's just that we know it's him. I'm, I mean, I'm worshiping. Do I really have to know this about Christ Jesus? Dear Christian, you must know that what Christ inherits, he shares with you. You know so little of the good news if you know not that Christ is the heir of all things. I invite you to study that glorious doctrine of adoption, which is where we will dwell tonight as we work through the London Baptist, Second London Baptist Confession of the Faith. And I think it's clearly displayed in Romans 8, 15 through 17. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified. Together. You see, Christ is the heir, the, the firstborn from the dead, the, the inherent son of God who is God, and he receives all things, and it's that heirship that we receive. I've, I've said this before, found myself saying this before, that so many of the promises that we read of in Scripture, they're not even given to you. They're promises from God the Father to God the Son, and you only get some part of that if you're found in the Son. So you're not left some small sliver of the pie. You are given the lion's share in Christ Jesus. He's given the inheritance, and it's that vast inheritance, the most perfect inheritance, the first slice, the biggest slice that belongs to Christ alone. That's the slice you get. You are a believer in the name of Jesus Christ. The lion's share. At this week's war room, just this Friday, some of you men might remember C.R. Wiley discussing the mystery 
of the faith in Ephesians 5. He's, of course, you know that passage. He's talking about marriage, this relationship between husband and wife. And, and he says this mystery speaks of Christ and the church. But C.R. Wiley said that this is the union. The mystery is the union. How in the world is the church in Christ made one flesh? But I would have you recall what just precedes that passage in Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. Paul writes this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, before Paul spoke of the mystery of the union of Christ and the church, he spoke of this mystery in the way that you are heirs in Christ. You're receivers, you're partakers in this inheritance that belongs to him. What an encouraging truth this morning. How important it is that you might know Christ as the heir of all things so that you might understand this revelation of God that bears promise for you, Christian. God is speaking. God is revealing Himself. And so whenever He reveals the Son as an heir of all things, well, that has bearing in the life of the Christian who is heir of all things in Christ Jesus, His Son, who has had God revealed to Him, through Him. Man, that's amazing. That is an encouragement. If you are a Christian this morning, He is not merely the receiver of all things. He hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Jesus is the heir of all things, but Jesus is the maker of all things. Jesus is the agent of creation that he inherits. If we put all of that together, there's something beautiful in what theologians call the Imago Dei, which explains how you were made in the image of God. Which makes it illegal to make images of God according to His law. Don't make any graven image. Uh, we don't need images. We don't need drawings of Christ or statues of Christ or of God or any other thing like this. You are in the image of God and you, Christian, are being conformed to the image of the Son. You are the image. God has made the image and fashioned the image of Himself. However imperfect you are that image, 
Now we learn that Christ is the exact imprint of His nature. Now we'll learn more about this next week. We won't have time to cover that today. But in Romans 8, we're told the Christian is being conformed to the image of Christ. Who is the exact imprint of the nature of this image of God. He is your maker through whom you were made. He is the restorer of the image of God. We might say he was your maker and he is your remaker. The creator and the recreator. Christ can be the master sculptor because he is the one who has quarried you. You're made from the elements that he created. Every part of you is fashioned through Christ. This is what makes the gospel so intriguing is that Christ was subjected to the creation that he made. Though it was subjected to futility of sin in its fallen condition, but now Christ, in Christ, all things are made new and all things are subject to him. This has a number of implications for us this morning. Christ being our creator through whom all things were made, this means for us today that He is owed our obedience. If all things, even you, were made through Christ, He is owed your obedience. Even when you create something, don't you expect to enjoy it? When we create something, don't we want to have it benefit us? Don't we expect that it will work as it intended? As it was intended? So in a similar way, you should meet the design for which you were created. To fail to worship God as He has prescribed for us in His Word is an act of rebellion. Not merely ignorance. You do not get this final say. God does. You're His. He is the Creator. He is your designer. He is due your worship. What a fearful expectation lies ahead of the one who despises the one who made them. So it is right for us to gather this Lord's Day and to worship Him. For he's commanded it. But also know this. It is the most supreme joy that befits the one who knows, loves, and is reconciled to and pleases their creator. This is a good thing. It is a pleasure of the Christian uh, to worship him. You see, Christian, you're not an ornament on the shelf of the maker's wood shop. Oh, we are sons in Christ Jesus. We just discussed this airship that we received. What a relief it is to rest in the arms of the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. The salvation the Christian receives extends to the deepest points of your depravity. Christ is able to fully atone for you because He knows all of you. Sins 
that you don't even know that you committed. Quirks that you don't even know that you have. He has already made an offering in Himself for all of these. Because Christ is your Maker, you can trust Him as your Savior. Surely, He can redeem you and remake you if He was the one that made you in the beginning from nothing. Ex nihilo. And yet, He doesn't recreate you from nothing. He does the more difficult work of fashioning you from this immense point of sin where you were once opposed to God. You were contrary to His creation and He recreates and makes you like Himself. It's especially humbling. Especially given the next point, if we are to be fashioned into His image and conform to His image and all of these things we've talked about being heir with Him and the implications of Christ being heir of all things and maker of all things, who is also the brightness of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. Could the writer have merely said that He's the radiance of God? Could He have said, well, Jesus is the glory of Him. Instead, He says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the light that shines from its source and reaches the furthest expanse, touching all that falls under His gaze. Christ is the thoroughgoing, undeniable evidence of the presence, purpose, and reach of the Most High God. Listen, Moses begged to see the glory of God, of which he only beheld the fleeting presence as it passed by before him, and God only uncovered his face as it was leaving him so that he wouldn't die and he still fell down as dead upon the Mount Sinai. We read that the Shekinah glory of God would fill the tabernacle where Moses would minister in the sanctum sanctorum, the Holy of Holies. When he would exit the tent, Moses' face would shine with the glory of God so much that the people were afraid and he had to cover his face until he would go in to enter the tabernacle again. How gracious was God to provide this sort of type of Christ figure to the early people of Israel. For Christ does not merely reflect the glory of God from His face. He is the radiance or brightness of the glory of God. Christ would say during His earthly ministry, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. When Israel came into the promised land, God finally permitted them to build a permanent structure. Uh, he allowed Solomon to build a temple, something that was going to be permanent. He wanted a dwelling place for God. and uh, You can read about that, but... Uh, in 1 Kings, but whenever it was finished and they had expected and called upon God to come and dwell, this 
holy of holies within this permanent, you know, brick and mortar structure that was the temple that was built after the pattern of the tabernacle. We read as the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into this holy of holies. We read in 1 Kings 8, 10 through 12, when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. An unbearable glory of God. And here we're reading in Christ Jesus what we're receiving in this in this one who is Christ Jesus who is the radiance of the glory of God. You must understand what's been done on your behalf. Paul interprets these events. I don't know if you knew that. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, here's what Paul says. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone, speaking of the law, that was all that was in the Ark of Covenant. If in this ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. You see, he's talking about Jesus Christ here. Since we have such hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, even when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Are you, are you getting this? This is called biblical theology. This is rich. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. Isn't that encouraging for your soul this morning? Have you beheld the radiance of the glory of God in your life? Have you seen this Christ? Do you know Him? A brother recently asked, how do you get the men of the church to dwell on Christ or to lead their families well or to get the church fired up about these truths? You bring them before the brightness of the glory of God. He beckons you to look upon Him with unfailed face that you might find His beauty irresistible. That you would not desire to look anywhere else. That it would overcome you. That people would be afraid by the glory that would be reflected from your face that exceeds that of Moses. Christian, does this describe you today? 
Or have you spent too much time away from the shining star of salvation that God offers in Christ Jesus? You see, there is no shortage. The world will offer you uh, these figurative and fancy sunglasses to dim the glory that Christ brings about in the Christian. It's taught everyone to grow comfortable walking around in veiled face. Do you not think that's a coincidence, Christian? Repent. Come before the Lord with unveiled face. Recognize His glory this morning in the face of Christ Jesus. He is not a a light that is turned off when you leave the room. His glory is not relegated to Sunday mornings. Our worship for His glory is every day of the week only culminating in this holy gathering, the fellowship of the saints. Brothers and sisters, I want you to listen to Paul's exhortation that immediately follows that interpretation from 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. He begins, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Don't you see what is being preached to you this morning? There is a revelation of God and if you're not speaking this, you don't have it. If this is not overcome and overwhelm your soul with what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus, what light dwells in you? How could you cover this? How could you seek light from anywhere else? How could you you veil your face, veil your heart, or cover your mouth and close your lips from this glorious gospel? All of this fits together. Come to God's radiant word in whom He he is fully revealed. And I ask, do these words resonate with you from the poem written by Samuel Stennett? Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. His head with radiant glories crowned, His lips with grace o'erflow. No mortal can with Him compare among the sons of men Fairer is he than all the fair who fill the heavenly train. He saw me plunged deep in distress and flew to my relief. For me he bore the shameful cross and carried all my grief. 
To him I owe my life and breath and all the joys I have. He makes me triumph over death and saves me from the grave. To heaven, the place of his abode, he brings my weary feet, shows me the glories of my God and makes my joy complete. Since from his bounty I receive such Proofs of love divine. Had I a thousand hearts to give. Lord they all be thine. God we come to you this morning. We glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you let us see your face? God, that our faces might shine with your glory, that these people around us might know you. Father, we pray that you would glorify yourself. Glorify yourself in us this hour. Glorify yourself in our dead communities so many who have been blinded by the God of this world and we pray that you yourself would remove this that you yourself would draw that you yourself would convict and you yourself would regenerate that you yourself would shine that your word would be spoken father we pray In the name of this holy, radiant, glorious Son of God. To whom is given all of these things. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us in New Life Baptist Preaching. We hope that you join us each Lord's Day in this study of the letter of Hebrews where we learn Jesus is better. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any sermons.